How's it going? Welcome to the Bloody Stream Podcast. I'm Brian. Oh, and I guess that silence means I'm flying solo this episode. Uh, so I hope you enjoy these dulcet tones. I don't remember what dulcet means, so I'm going to keep this in. Uh, <laughs> I have one mention this week. It is Spiral from the Book of Saw. It was certainly a thing to the point that I'm not going to give my review now because I believe uh, we are planning to do some Saw-related content in the future. So be on the lookout for that. Um, we, I definitely want to get back on schedule because Leprechaun 4 just... Leprechaun 4 in space, excuse me, uh, knocked. It was just so much. We did it right after the... I re, there was a whole thing. We did it right after a festival. It was a super good idea. But um, yeah, we just needed that week off. And uh, due to the holiday and a couple of things, uh, only I was able to hop on here. But I wanted to make sure... We wanted to make sure that you folks still got something to listen to in the meantime. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the film... Watcher, which is from 2022. It stars Micah Monroe, Carl Glusman, and Bern Gorman. Uh, Micah Monroe was the lead character in It Follows. Um, so she is an alumni of the podcast already. This was directed by Chloe Okuno. Um, and it is... It's fascinating. It was, it was pretty interesting. Um, it's about... An American woman and her husband moved to Bucharest in Romania. And basically, she gets the impression that someone is watching her. Who would have guessed from the title of the film? Um, my review, I think what I would give it is... I would probably give this a high smiley face, I think. I don't know if it makes it up to a Mr. Cool, not for a lack of trying, I'll say that. Like, I spent most of the movie engaged and interested, but it is on the slower side, so I'll say that. Um, there's no warnings I have, none of the content is like, oh my god, like this is horrible, or anything like that, um, but I will, I guess a word of caution to people if they are worried about the slow side of things. Um, in fact, to that point... Oh, the vibe. God, it's... Without Jorge being here, I am absolutely churning off of instinct in terms of what's next on this, the list of things to cover for sure. Um, but... The, uh... The vibe is quiet and slow in a lot of ways... It has a vibe of, like, a 70s thriller in the, like, modernized, modernized, a modernized 70s thriller. Like, it's a lot of Micah walking around with a surprisingly, like, traditional score, if that makes sense. Um, it's mostly just, like, an orchestra kind of thing. It gives, like, that classic film vibe to it. Um something from that sort of era where it was a lot of think piece, you know, uh, not think pieces, but like character study things. Um, but inside of this kind of horror thriller movie. Uh, so in fact, with all of that out of the way, 
I don't actually remember if I mentioned where this is, but you can find it on Hulu and Shudder and uh, AMC Plus if you get that anywhere. And if you really need to find where anything is, go to thebloodystream.com and you can search for whatever movie you're looking for. Uh, All right, you know what? With that, let's just get right in there to the spoiler configuration. So we will sit with our open window, no blinds on, doing a sensual thumb circle to open the spoiler configuration. Um, Yeah, so this follows uh, Julia. I believe it's Julia. Yes, I always wonder about the... uh, Her husband calls her Jules, so I didn't know if there was the specifics of that. But it follows Julia and Francis as they move to Bucharest. Um, The thing I found interesting immediately was... uh, One, this movie looks super pretty. It's super... Um, just good looking like it's put together well the shots are composed in a way that's engaging but um, not necessarily for the sake of it only uh, a lot of the times they do try to let the camera do a lot of the work in terms of paranoia and tension building without just saying stuff directly that's another thing that's another thing that uh, might turn people off to this movie. There is certainly dialogue, but it is not. There's not a lot of it. It's a lot of following Micah Monroe around by herself, dealing with things in nonverbal ways. Um, but I honestly like the reasoning for it, and I think it adds into the feeling and vibe that they want to give is because, like I said, they moved to Bucharest and they're moving from New York. Francis is, uh, his parents are Romanian, but he was raised in the U.S. Um, But he does, in fact, speak Romanian and that's part of why he's going over here, is he is getting a promotion for a job in their Bucharest office. Julia is his loving wife who decided who's Uh, figuring things out because she seems to be a failed actress or at least a struggling actress. Um, They only say about a line or two on it, but that's the vibe or the intonation they give in regards to her situation because she's kind of coming over here and not doing anything. Like, you know, she's just over here. Uh, But she doesn't speak any... She doesn't speak the language. She's learning it in the movie as she goes along and she picks up a few things, but it is very much fish out of water in that regard, which immediately uh, keeps her at a distance from the place she is living in, which I think is a really great and a really easy setup to that loneliness and isolation that develops into the paranoia of somebody watching me. So, I thought that was a really effective, I almost said cheap, but I meant efficient. Like, there's not a lot used there, but they get it across. Um, and that's that's another thing that I want to say about this movie is, it's it feels slow at times, and it can feel long at times. It's only 90 minutes. It's maybe like 91 minutes or something like that. But um, it's really fast with a lot of its things. It does... It takes its time in terms of length of shot and things like that, but it's not 
rolling over the same points over and over again just to pad its length. Like, it only needs to be an hour and a half, and that's what it is. It does everything it's supposed to do in that hour and a half. Um, I think the reason this stays a high smiley face for me is that while it's a well-crafted version of it, this is something we've all seen before. Um, there was a very specific um, homage or reference that I saw. Excuse me, inspiration, not reference. Um, there is an old, and it's a weird pull because I doubt fucking anybody has seen this. And I don't even know if they can get their hands on it. I'm not going to look it up now. But you can go to the Bloody Stream to find out. John Carpenter of Halloween fame and The Thing and everything. You know, horror master John Carpenter has a TV movie from 1978 called Someone's Watching Me. Which is about a woman being watched in her apartment. Uh, (laughs) Pretty one-to-one thing. Um, And that's kind of where I'm getting at with this movie is... It's not really treading any new ground in that regard. Um, it's a plot line that if you think about it in your... Like, if you did a basic skeleton map of this plot line, you'd probably get most, if not all, of the major beats in it. In terms of her growing paranoia, her husband being uh, having trouble believing her, the police getting involved at the time where it doesn't end up working, you know, like the police not believing her, going in and finding something and it not being what it is, you know, that sort of thing before the revelations at the end and the final act sort of ensuing. Uh, The places I think this does succeed, though, is I think this is a really good version of that. I think if you're in the mood for one of those, I think this is one you should do because there's a lot of strong performances and it really does an effective job at putting you in that position. Especially with the language. I mean, if you speak Romanian, you'll be fine. But um, if you are just an English speaker, or if you only speak English in terms of the languages available, you'll feel really... You'll immediately get that sense that you are outside of the conversation. They even do it in casual ways. There's a couple's dinner between uh, Julia and Francis and his co-worker and their wife and they they spend half of the time just speaking uh in Romanian and it's all focused right on Julia trying her best to stay in the conversation but just absolutely getting you know left behind in terms of that like in the first one it's very like yeah, she's being polite, blah, 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 no problems. But as that goes on, you can see the, like, frustration with it and the sadness of it. Like, you can really feel that isolation calcifying around her as the conversation isn't there to the point that the last time it happens, it's a bit of a turn on its head because she started to pick up some things and she gets a specific line that's in there and is able to confront her husband about it but um yeah the story follows julia basically the first night or so i think maybe the second night but early on in the time they live in this apartment which which is like those massive apartment buildings that are all like next to each other so there's a virtually 
identical building across the street. And a floor up and a little bit over to the left. As she's sitting there in the middle of the night, she sees what she presumes is someone in the window. Um, And she keeps seeing him. She keeps seeing him. And they really do a good job at the start of kind of going, this is pretty clearly here. And as, like, especially in the middle third of it, um, really doing a great job of making that blurrier and blurrier. There's a moment with one interaction between the two. I call them interactions because, I don't know, I guess occurrence, but one situation where she's staring up and it's just a silhouette shadow. Like, a lot of the times you can see some definition to the watcher, but a lot of the, like, you know, maybe 50-50, it is just a shadow. And it really helps you go, man, I can see how that's, how I would believe that that's a person watching me if I felt this isolated and this uh, afraid, you know, this this alone in a new place sort of thing. Um what I also appreciated was it kind of gets down to it real quick as well, which is interesting because of just what I brought up. It gets down to the fact that someone is there. Like we don't just sit with, Oh, it's a weird vibe of someone watching. Like she goes out, she has to do stuff during the day. She has to fill her day with things. So she ends up going to the movies with a really great tense interaction. That's very simple, but played so well that you as an audience member are freaking out at essentially nothing. Like, but we're already, they do a great job of sucking you in immediately to the vibe and not letting you go from it. Like, they want you in there with Julia, feeling more and more desperate almost immediately that this thing is happening and starting to get potentially gaslit by other people in this. Because there's also... I will say there is also the heavy idea of um, female anxiety in terms of dealing with things like that. You know, this is a very, this is a real thing and a real issue that can occur. And they hit all of those points as well, um, as mostly in terms of the, (laughs) most of the male voices in the movie not believing her or being the perpetrator of the incidents. You know what I mean? Um, they, Francis is, her husband is fine as a character. Like, I'll bring up some of the performances at this point because I think that's, I think that just makes the most sense in terms of where to go. Uh, Micah Monroe is really good. She is also rather, it's a quiet and muted performance most of the time. Like, there are things in her eyes that you see that you're like, oh, okay, cool. She doesn't really have any outbursts. Like, this type of movie usually is about watching an actress um, escalate to the point of having a sort of meltdown. And that kind of happens here, but it's mostly just a... Like, it's done in the same way, but it's, like, as if the volume was down. You know what I mean? Um, so it's not not that that's bad. It's just a what you're getting into kind of thing. I like that. I think that's more, um, not to say realistic, but it, it feels more 
in line with this universe and who this person is. Like, she would be naturally upset about it, but at most, that would be the most you get from an outburst. Though I will say, and this is kind of a thing that leans it towards a high smiley and not a Mr. Cool, is in the same paragraph, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a monologue, but in the same conversation she has with Francis, she both says, I'm not crazy and I feel like I'm losing my mind, which was just a having those two phrases right next to each other or so close to each other felt amateur-ish, I guess would be the way to describe. It felt like, you know, clumsy in terms of the writing where you're like, oh, okay, we're... It felt like we, they were doing a lot of, like, the cliche lines in that conversation. Um, so that was just one of the parts where you're like, oh, okay. But I liked a lot... I mean, Micah Monroe is really good at that nonverbal acting. She gets increasingly paranoid, obviously. And in a bit of a... Not necessarily a twist, but I liked the way that she pushes the obsession because a lot of the times with these movies they'll it gets to the point where the person the victim is looking in and trying to spy on the person they think is their stalker and sometimes it's played still really passively or like they do some research that's like unattached from the actual person because of the situation and you know the resources she has available she just follows him around like she runs she she sees him outside because they're neighbors you know they live in the same they live on the same block basically but um she ends up seeing him and she just she's very frazzled she's in like sweatpants and a bomber jacket <laughs> you know she's not she's very like didn't expect to do anything but she ends up following him to his job and the one thing I really liked uh the uh, we get a moment in there where she's inside which she works at a club as a janitor and they continue this motif uh of her not making eye contact with him in like quote-unquote the real world in the sense of like She'll stare up at him from the window when he's just the shadowy kind of figure. But when he's around, he follows her into a grocery store, follows her at the movie theater. She will turn or like she'll start looking at him, but not to his face. And he does the same in a lot of the interactions. And the camera and Julia will cut away and she'll kind of turn not to face him, you know, not not wanting to look at him. Uh, and they do that in the club, The which that ends up culminating in another, you know, um, uh, capping off of that sort of theme of watching versus, I think, looking at someone. The In the club, she meets, she runs into her friend, her new friend, Arena, who I think is great in this movie. Uh, it's not a crazy big part or anything, but she is the friend in this. And she is a she's a dancer at this club, but she's very, you know, she's like a cool, 
free-spirited type. You know, she's an independent woman sort of thing. Uh, that's Madalena Anea. Um, I'm terrible with these types of names, so please forgive me. But um, she ends up seeing her at the club, and they they'd already met before, and she takes care, you know, like, she is the only one who, for all intents and purposes, believes her about it because they have this great conversation. And once it was in my head, like, the words of it stuck in my head the whole time, and I was like, oh, you're gonna make me, like go through with it like you you're you're forecasting you're foretelling what's going on how dare you because i don't like what you're saying um julia's like you don't like do you believe me that sort of thing and or she's like do you think it's really happening and arena is just like it might be better to just live with the uncertainty instead of be you know lying on the ground with your you know being strangled with the words, I told you so in your head. Um, which really honestly chilled me when I heard that. Cause it was just like, ugh, that is, you know, where that ends up going. Or, you know, like that's the logical conclusion for a lot of this. If she is right. Um, but they continue the kind of cat and mouse sense to the point that he, uh, Weber, who is the guy who lives in the building where she's staring up at uh, and the guy who's been walking around in these same areas, who's played by Burn Gorman, who you guys would, I think he's a face you recognize, but I couldn't really say anything big in terms of like a giant role he had where you'd go, Oh, that's definitely where I know him from. He's been in stuff like the dark Knight rises. He was in Pacific rim. He was Charlie day's friend in that. He was also, when I looked, he's the scientist in the Always Sunny episode, Flowers for Charlie. Um, so if you're a Sunny fan and you remember that, that's who this is. And he plays a treat. He's great. He's got one of those faces that is very unique um, or is just unique. You wouldn't be very unique. You are. Unique is kind of a... Anyway, um, he's got a unique looking face and he keeps the attitude and the... Uh, physicality of someone who you think might be doing this very well in his body. Like his shoulders are hunched a lot of the time. He feels very um, unsettling, but also sad. I think a lot of the time, which is the part that I think disarms a lot of people or makes people feel disarmed. I do want to say, and I completely glossed over it before and I apologize but the reason I think this paranoia also really sets in is there's the understanding that a serial killer is on the loose who has killed at least four women, I believe, at this point. Um, so that it's not obvious or it's not um, it's not like hammered in as like an explicit part of it. But it's very clear that it is her fear. It is very clearly Julia's issue or worry that this guy watching her is who they call the spider. I think they call the killer, the spider. Um, so I think she runs in that runs bleeds through the general like paranoia of that. Um, to the point that there's a pretty solid, there's both a dream scene and a jump scare in this. 
that I think are used as effectively as tools as they can be. The jump scare is barely a jump scare, but it is, I think, still meant to be one. And I think it's totally okay. I think it's super effective at its job. It is the right time to do one. It's the right way to do one. It's not cheap. It is truly a measure of how anxious and on edge Julia has gotten over the course of the film. Uh, so I think it was, I think it did exactly what it's supposed to, where you jolt and you just go, oh my God, I have been, the realization that you've been sitting on the edge of your seat for 45 minutes or whatever, right? Um, the dream sequence is a little, the the sequence itself is fine, but it's just a dream scene. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, but the way, the follow-up part of it, I think is my favorite because she in the sequence, she has a pillowcase put over her head and you can see her start to bleed from her mouth from getting attacked. And she's, you know, rashing her head, uh, thrashing back and forth and sort of thing like that. It's pretty, it's an upsetting, like, just look, right? But she's hearing a, she hears a sound from Irina's apartment, which is right next door. You know, she... There's a great, there's a moment at the beginning where she hears her with a partner, you know, doing something. I'm not going to tell, but uh, <laughs> doing something, you know, doing her thing. And Irina is like, can you hear me from inside your apartment? And Julia just lies and goes, no. But that comes into play because she ends up hearing something fall over or a scream, what she thinks is a scream. And as she's kind of just staring at the wall, they do one second soundless flash back to the dream, that image of her thrashing around. And it's just like that way more effectively showcased and like evoked that idea that people have when they attribute the worst possible thing to seemingly an innocuous sound like that immediately evokes like oh cool she's in the headspace where that's the only thing she goes to there's no other option it can't be anything else except arena getting murdered right now um and i think what's really overall what's really effective is the simplicity of the cinematography and I don't mean that to say that it's basic stuff, but it isn't flashy. It's not like doing any sort of real hard zooms or moves or anything like that. It's playing with focus. It keeps a, I believe, a shallow focus. So it's a, it's very much most of the focus in a lot of the shots, especially when Julia's just walking around, is purely on Julia. So everything else is blurry. So... Most of the time, that's whatever. Most of the time, an audience is taught to, because that's where the focus is, that's what matters and that's what is important. But the movie absolutely loves playing with that expectation and putting little things in there. I spend a lot of the movie, and this is a compliment. This is a good thing. I'm not, uh, and I'm not trashing it. I'm not saying this is negative. I spend a lot of time hitting the go back 10 seconds button because I was like, wait a minute, what's going on there? It's not chalked full. It's not like, oh my God, every time you need to do whatever. But multiple times I had to do that because I was like, oh shit. Like the realization that something back there was not just nothing. 
Um, yeah, so which is great, which is super good. Um, I also love the so the spider, the killer in this, is known for cutting women's heads off, uh, or he ends up decapitating at least some of the people, uh, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. But um, they get there's a scene towards the end. She has a fight with Francis, who has not believed her husband, who has not believed her throughout the entirety of this. And it's really, it's not like he started believing her and then gradually didn't or like lost anything. It doesn't seem like he ever believes her and just gets more and more tired of it to the point that he's once again uh, othering her and ousting her from the conversation with some work friends. But he mentions the spider, which of course she's now learned as a word in Romanian because she's been following this case and, you know, looking over things and she catches it and she fills in the blanks of the sentence saying, at least she'll have the spider to keep her company. So to the point that he's very much just like she's obsessed, but she leaves and she gets on the, the train, the Metro and runs into Weber, who is the guy, you know, the guy in terms of the potential stalker. And they sit down and have this conversation and during it, you're almost, like, for the first half of it, I had a full, they had me in the first half, not gonna lie, to the point where I was almost incredulous of the movie, going, there's no way, like, what the fuck? Um, but it was just a testament to, I guess, the performance and a couple of things. Because he felt really sad, like, he felt truly, like, I'm kind of just a sad, lonely guy who does a pathetic little thing of people watching to pass the time, in between my job that I don't like and whatever. And he points out that she was the first person. She was, you know, one of the people to wave. She goes, and then you, he goes, and then you waved at me because she does. She, she does it to prove to herself that she's seeing things, but he, he 100% waves back and it's like, oh shit, which is another one that happens in the back, like starts to happen in the background. But he's telling this story and he has, he's always had a shopping bag with him. I think. Every time we see him out and about, he has a shopping bag of some kind. But they keep... She keeps looking over at it, and they eventually get to this close-up of it. And the... Fuck, I can't describe the chill of it was just... It's just barely... Just barely looks like... It is a plastic bag that is surrounding Irina's severed head with her mouth open, like, screen, you know, a mouth open, like, dead face, head. And I was just like, no way. No way. Like, I couldn't... I don't know. It was just really effective for me. It it immediately snapped my attention to, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, which is great because it all... It's, you know, it's taking place on this late night subway ride. But... The brazenness of it, I think, is the part that you're just like, holy sh... It feels very surreal, I think, would be the best way to put it. And even in those last moments before they reveal, because, I mean, we're in the configuration, but I'll say it again, spoilers, he's obviously actually the killer. <laughs> like, he actually is killing people. Um, even by Even once they get to the reveal where he gets her into Arena's apartment and they find the severed head or the severed body. The, 
the surreal nature and just the weird vibe everything has really does make you go, there's no, like, no, I must, she must just be breaking. Like, she must just be losing touch with reality sort of thing. Um, but no, it's absolutely happening. And I think it's so fucking good. Um, and I'll say Gorman doesn't, uh, as Weber, doesn't really change too much when it's revealed he's the killer. Because I feel like that happens a lot. I feel like a lot of it is, I'm clearly doing an act and now I'm in my devilish ha-ha-ha mustache twirling serial killer type thing, right? He still is that, you know, like, fundamentally he's still that guy. He just has that confidence because he's in his element of murder, which is super gross and scary. Um, that sequence is well done. Like, we get an, we get a POV inside of the shopping bag he uses to suffocate, uh, to try and suffocate, you know, like, to knock out Julia. And... It's just a big smiley face. So, like, we get the yellow and the black of the eyes and just, like, on us. And it feels very, like, you're like, oh, get this off me. I don't like this. Um, but the ending sequence ends up he... She screams for help after hearing that Francis has come home in the next room. And Nick, like, she, uh, like, slices a bit of her throat. Um, which was... It's, it's, it's a part where I'll talk about it as I'm getting to it, but does so she reaches for a gun that was introduced earlier inside of arena's apartment for self-defense which uh i was like of course the Chekhov's gun situation obviously but um she reached for it and it she seemingly dies like she passes out and seemingly is gone she lays down you know she falls reaching for this gun and there was a great there was an absolutely great moment of for uh Weber, after doing this, is kind of laying there. And I thought, like, I was like, wow, holy, is this going to be the ending? Jesus. Um, lays down and mirrors her exact position of how she fell and was, like, reaching for the gun. Mirrors the exact same thing so he can look right into her eyes. And it's truly, it's the time that they look directly at each other or it's the most important one I'll say because I think they had they technically do like you know meet eyes earlier in the film but this is very clearly the like cap of the motif of them not being able to look directly at each other sort of thing um and then finally connect you know like not connecting because I don't think they do they're not you know she's getting killed by this fucking guy but um finally being able to see each other truly in that kind of way. Um, which I thought that was a cool looking, like creepy thing. It doesn't end there. And I was kind of surprised by that. He ends up, I thought it was going to be, the movie does a great job of making it go, Oh God, you're going to fucking twist the knife in a little bit more and more and more for each of these, you know, as it continues, because he just, he's getting out of the apartment and it looks like he's won. You know, it looks like it's over, but Francis has called the phone and hears it in the other apartment. So he starts to look over and Weber is leaving and just looks, you know, he just looks at Francis and starts to go. He's like going to confront him. And then all of a sudden there is, you know, 
there's a gunshot and Weber gets hit. Weber gets hit again and presumably, you know, like looks to be dead. And we cut in and Julia is still alive. You know, like Julia shoots him. Julia shoots and kills him and looks pretty okay. She doesn't fall back over again. She doesn't like go in so that they're both die sort of thing she just kind of she is fully standing there um I think they meant to play it and I think when you look at the initial slice that happens because he has to she screams so he has to quickly cut her throat and you know get things done it's not like a giant wound like there's blood that comes out of course but I think they play it as worse of a wound than it is initially to bait you into believing that that's, you know, that she's down for the count and done. But, um, honestly, it was nice. I mean, it's always nice to see a triumph in terms of that because I don't like <laughs> bummer endings of certain things. But, uh, it, it I don't want to say it felt cheap, but it felt a little odd. It didn't feel perfect in that sort of way. Um, but I think thematically it got a lot about isolation and paranoia and connection in a strange place, even if it's the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad kind. Like, you know, Weber is very clearly a disturbed individual, but he's doing the same, you know, she's looking at him. But fundamentally, they're doing the same thing in that regard. Uh, it's just that his is a much more potent and dangerous sort of thing. But the part where she ends up following him, I I really liked because she was the watcher in that case. Like, he only catches on when she's at work, when, when he finally gets to his work, and he's like, realizes that someone is there. Because they do, they do a very good job of like, his slow movements changing to realize like, I'm being watched. Because she does the same, Julia does the exact same thing. You can see her body tense up as she realizes she's being stared at. It's not just someone being around her. It's someone focusing their eyes on her. Um, so it gives us that language, both in the sense of we know the honesty of what's happening with Weber and we know the honesty of what's happening with Julia because we've seen them both demonstrated. Um, but her turning into a watcher, I think was interesting or at least uh, a different aspect of it rather than her just being somebody who gets stalked and attacked like it's much it's much more uh, engaging at least in that regard but um yeah I think that's pretty much everything I gotta say on that I would I would still give it a high smiley face but I would say check it out if you're into that sort of thing I would also I, it's probably not anywhere but the John Carpenter one as well someone's watching me uh, I think is also one to look at. Just, if you're in that mood, I'll probably have it as a mention for a later time if I can get a hold of it. Uh, just because now I want to watch it to compare notes and just see if uh, Chloe Okuno took a lot of stuff from it or not. Um, but yeah, Watcher, definitely enjoy. Definitely got a kick out of it. Um, I would say check it out. Anyway, want to say thank you very much to Eyes of Astoria for our theme song, Deadwalk. Um, big thank you to our sister podcast. Oh, you can find 
John on any episodes, as well as Melanie and all of our other friends. If you go to thebloodystream.com and you look under pod people, you can see the episodes that everybody has been on so far. Big shouts out to our sister podcast, Downtime with John and Emily, the how-to podcast by siblings who don't know anything. Um, you can find us on social media at bloodystreampod, and we will talk to you. Same bloody time, same bloody channel.